Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Thursday, January 7th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. A prototype for self-repairing planetary exploration robots made of ice. The surprising history of the word dude. And a new Danish children's cartoon about the misadventures of a man with a huge dong. Yep, here are some of the cool things from the news today. Yesterday, I talked about some of the exciting space missions on the docket for 2021. Among them, at least two rovers from the U.S. and China will touch down on Mars next month. And while they're there, if they experience any kinds of breakdowns, there's not too much that can be done. Now, these are super sophisticated planetary exploration robots, so major breakdowns aren't exactly expected, but the rovers aren't designed to self-repair. And even if they were, they don't come stocked with backup equipment like the spare tire on the back of a Jeep. That's why scientists from the GRASP lab at the University of Pennsylvania have proposed a new way for exploration robots to make their own structural components out of a material that's readily available in many places these robots are sent to, ice. Now, of course, being ice, we're not talking about any electrical or super complicated components, but more structural things like a wheel that could be made in a pinch. The scientists who presented their work recently at the IEEE RSJ International Conference on Intelligent Robots and Systems, or IROS, stress that they are in the very early phases of exploring the concept, but they did make a prototype called IceBot to show how it could work. Quoting IEEE, The IROS paper takes a look at different ways of manufacturing robotic structural components from ice using both additive and subtractive manufacturing processes, with the goal of developing a concept for robots that can exhibit self-reconfiguration, self-replication, and self-repair. The assumption is that the robot would be operating in an environment with ice all over the place, where the ambient temperature is cold enough that the ice remains stable, and ideally also cold enough that the heat generated by the robot won't lead to an inconvenient amount of self-melting, or an even more inconvenient amount of self-shorting. Between molding, 3D printing, and CNC machining, it turns out that just cutting up the ice with a drill is the most energy-efficient and effective method, although ideally you'd want to figure out a way of using it where you can manage the wastewater and ice shavings that result so that they don't refreeze somewhere you don't want them to. Of course, sometimes refreezing is exactly what you want, since that's how you do things like place actuators and attach one part to another. End quote. Further downsides to ice include the decreased efficiency when compared to other materials like titanium or carbon fiber, as well as the increased margin of error due to the relative unpredictability of conditions that cause the ice to fail. Still, the flexibility of ice and its availability in popular exploration sites like Antarctica and the space missions specifically looking for ice make it an interesting candidate for a problem with few other solutions. Lead author Devin Carroll says he envisions that there would be two robots. Quote, The first explores the environment and collects materials needed to perform self-augmentation or repair, and the second is some sort of manipulator-slash-manufacturing system. We can envision the exploration class of robot returning to a centralized location with a request for a plow or some other augmentation, and the manufacturing system will be able to attach that augmentation directly to the robot. 
Similarly, with repair, if, for example, a robot recognizes a crack, the manipulator would be able to patch the crack using an ice band-aid of sorts, sealing the crack and preventing it from propagating further, end quote. Of the many steps, Carroll emphasizes the need to minimize the energy required to implement augmentations, because, as he says, energy is a very valued commodity in remote environments. Which is very true, although we have managed to make decent headway at least where power supply is concerned by harnessing solar power. Which I think of as kind of in the similar category as the ice robots. It's all about using the resources available to you instead of having to pack more and more onto the robot you send off somewhere. There are a lot of potential pitfalls here, and I'm not sure how useful it would ultimately be considering the number of caveats, but it's still a very cool concept, and you can't beat the name Icebot. If this concept continues on, I just hope they can keep the Icebot name. I mean, just imagine, Icebots on Mars! That's gotta be the title of a Pulp Fiction story somewhere. These days, I feel like the word dude is less and less a word to actually address someone and more an exclamation of disbelief. Like, dude, did you see that? Even while musing on this current evolution and debates about whether or not it's a gender-neutral term, I never thought too much about where the word actually came from. So when I stumbled on an article explaining its origins, I was fairly surprised. So while we tend to associate it more with surfers, skater, or stoner culture these days, the original usage couldn't be further from that image. In the 19th century, it was arguably used to refer to dandies. You know, quoting the BBC, "...foppishly turned out male followers of the aesthetic movement, a short-lived artistic vogue that championed superficial fashion and decadent beauty, art for art's sake, and was associated with ostentatiously attired artists such as James McNeil Whistler and Dante Gabriel Rossetti." End quote. A dandy was sometimes a man who came from new money and tried to style himself like the aristocracy, there was a bit of a political and philosophical element to it for some, either as a nostalgic anti-egalitarianism and or the idea of making aesthetics a living, personal pursuit. Depending on your definition, folks like Oscar Wilde and Lord Byron would be considered dandies or at least associated with the movement. And yes, over time, it did come to take on a bit of a connotation or conflation with hinting at a man's sexuality, although that's a bit more of a modern interpretation. And the way we got from Dandy to Dude is most likely via the song Yankee Doodle Dandy, which, while it's now a patriotic song taught to American schoolchildren, it was actually first sung by British military officers before the Revolutionary War, making fun of how disheveled American soldiers were. The idea was kind of that Americans were so poor and simple-minded that they thought putting a feather in a hat was enough to make them stylish and posh. And it may be helpful to point out here that macaroni, you know, he stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni, Macaroni was a precursor to dandy. Basically, during the trend of young British men going on grand tours of Europe, many of them tried a pasta in Italy called macaroni, which they quite enjoyed and tried to make a thing when they went back to England. And from there, anything fashionable was being described as macaroni, and the men themselves, inevitably those who engaged in over-the-top fashions, were called macaronis. 
Now, unlike the dandies who had that element of political philosophy to them and at the time were considered masculine enough, the macaronis were definitely disparaged for femininity and airheadedness. A 1770 article from Oxford Magazine reads, quote, there is indeed a kind of animal, neither male nor female, a thing of the neuter gender, lately started up amongst us. It is called a macaroni. It talks without meaning, it smiles without pleasantry, it eats without appetite, it rides without exercise, it wenches without passion, end quote. So that's the macaroni that the British were accusing Americans of being by putting a feather in their cap, at least so the lyrics go. They were calling Americans either working-class folks trying to appropriate aristocratic culture or overly effeminate men, or both. But of course, the Americans turned it into a song of defiance, adding extra verses that made fun of the British, and within just a few decades, it was already cemented as a song of patriotism for the Americans. Now, writing in the BBC, Kelly Grovier claims that dude, then spelled D-O-O-D, is an abbreviation of the doodle in Yankee Doodle. Which may be true, although it's important to note that doodle on its own, before Yankee Doodle was written, was being used in English a bit as taken from the German doodel, which means a fool or simpleton. It definitely comes from doodle, so the connotation of someone who's not the sharpest tool in the shed has always been there, and I'd say still lives on with some of the stoner-adjacent usages. And I could see the dandy origin being true in some capacity, because in the late 19th century we get the usage of dude in America as referring to a city slicker from the East Coast going out to the West and having no idea how to handle ranch life. Not being of tough, manly stock, you know? That's where we get Dude Ranch. They're places that house guests, dudes, who aren't ranchers. So, the next time you call someone dude, think about how you're calling them foolish, or perhaps foppish. And there was one other interesting piece of etymological history from this same article that I found vaguely interesting in light of recent events, and it's with regards to the word mobile. Quoting the BBC on one of its usages, the word was an abbreviation in the 17th century for the insulting phrase mobile vulgus, used condescendingly to describe the hoi polloi. Eventually, mobile, as a stand-in for riffraff and rabble, was compressed further to the slur we still use today, mob. End quote. I just never knew that mob was short for mobile, or more specifically, mobile vulgus, which sounds like something out of Game of Thrones. Mobile Vulgus. So this week, a new animated TV series for children called John Dillemand debuted on Denmark's public service broadcasting station DR. Here is how The Guardian describes the show. Quote, a new animated series aimed at four to eight-year-olds about John Dillamand, the man with the world's longest penis who overcomes hardships and challenges with his record-breaking genitals. End quote. Yes, really. AV Club points out that Dillamand roughly translates to penis man. So the cheery intro showing the lead character, dressed for some reason in a red and white old-timey one-piece swimsuit, alternately getting into accidents and saving the day, is basically singing John Penis Man over and over again, which you can get how that would appeal to children. 
Here's AV Club describing the first episode, quote, From what we can gather without understanding Danish, the show follows John as he uses his prehensile, candy-colored penis to help him get work as a dog walker. He grabs squeaky toys from a bag and leads the dogs on their walk, using, you guessed it, his Lovecraftian ween. But when the dogs run off in pursuit of a cat, he must retrieve them by being driven around on a pickup truck, squeaking a toy clutched by his serpentine dick and wincing painfully whenever a dog bites onto it. The episode ends with him trying to cook sausages by lifting a can of lighter fluid onto a barbecue with his elastic penis, resulting in a cartoon explosion. End quote. Shockingly, the new series has received some pushback. The network, DR, notes that a number of the complaints came before the show aired and that it's a minority of people who are now being made fun of for making too big of a deal out of things. And while some of the complaints came from folks like politician Morten Messerschmidt, a member of the right-wing Danish People's Party, there was also some criticism from more progressive academics. Quoting The Guardian, Kristen Gross, an associate professor and gender researcher at Roskilde University, said he believed the program's celebration of the power of male genitalia could only set equality back. He said, It's perpetuating the standard idea of a patriarchal society and normalizing locker room culture that's been used to excuse a lot of bad behavior from men. It's meant to be funny, so it's seen as harmless, but it's not, and we're teaching this to our kids. Erla Heinesen-Holstead, a clinical psychologist who works with families and children, said she believed the show's opponents may be overthinking things. John Dillamand talks to children and shares their way of thinking, and kids do find genitals funny, she said. The show depicts a man who is impulsive and not always in control, who makes mistakes, like kids do. But crucially, Dillamand always makes it right. He takes responsibility for his actions. When a woman in the show tells him that he should keep his penis in his pants, for instance, he listens, which is nice. He's accountable. End quote. Though Hosted does concede that there could be better ways to celebrate diversity in body types, and that the overall timing is poor considering Danish television is going through a bit of a Me Too reckoning at the moment. Personally, the show reminds me of something that Nickelodeon probably would have tried to air in the 90s, you know, weird, kind of shocking bathroom humor that is totally something a kid would find hilarious. Does that mean it has any place being on TV in 2021? I don't know. But if you want to decide for yourself, the links in the show notes have clips that you can watch of the first episode. And despite all the descriptions, it does appear to be totally G-rated, so, you know, safe for work. That is it for today, and taking a sharp turn from that last segment, I just want to take a minute to thank you all for listening in light of what's going on right now. You know, a show like this could seem frivolous, and in some ways it is. You know, But as we sit glued to our various screens of doom, I think breaks for fresh air, for conversation, for water, and yes, for frivolity in small doses is necessary to keep ourselves healthy, to clear our minds, so that we can dive back into staying informed and doing the work that needs to be done. So I hope that the Kotki Ride Home can be that for you right now, if you need it. I know it is for me. I'm very fortunate to have an outlet to remember the good, interesting, and creative things that are still happening in the world and the universe, and I'm going to keep sharing them with you so you have that outlet too. So stay safe, be well, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>